Welcome to your daily affirmations. Repeat after me, working with others is easier than ever. I strive for perfect collaboration. Our teamwork keeps getting better. Yeah, affirmations are great, but Monday.com can really get you the teamwork you desire. Work together easily and share files, updates, data, and just about anything you want all in one platform. Affirm yes to start. Or tap the banner to go to Monday.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. And I'd like to tell you that we have a new and improved website. It has two new features that we think you'll love. One of them is a vastly improved search engine so that when you type in keywords, you'll get a bunch of episodes really quick. The other is the ability to create a listener account. And in that listener account, you can save episodes for later listening. So you can create a kind of listening list. We think these features are neat and we think you'll enjoy them. Please visit the site today. Welcome to the New Books Network. Good afternoon. My name is Brian Topher, Principal Architect of Topher Architecture, and you're listening to New Books Architecture, a podcast channel on the New Books Network dedicated to architecture and its publications. If you have any suggestions on authors who you'd love to hear me speak with next, feel free to send me an email at btopher at topherarchitecture.com. Today's guest is Dr. Fleur Watson to talk about her book, The New Curator, Exhibiting Architecture and Design. Dr. Fleur Watson is Executive Director and Chief Curator for the Center for Architecture Victoria and Hope and House Melbourne. Uh, Dr. Fleur Watson was also Curator at Design Hub Gallery in Melbourne. Uh, thank you very much for being here with me today and welcome to the show. Oh, thanks, Brian. It's a great pleasure to be with you. Pleasure's all mine. Now, before we begin, can you tell the audience a little bit more about yourself? Sure, absolutely. Um, well, Brian, I'm a, I'm a curator and I've been working in uh, curatorial practice with really a, a specific um, focus on architecture and design, although I have also worked across the visual arts for about the past 20 years almost. Um, but really my background is that uh, I studied as a designer. I grew up in Western Australia here uh, in, in Australia, so in Perth, one of the most remote cities in the world, but uh, an extraordinary place. Um, I did my undergraduate design degree there and um, then went on to postgraduate uh, a master's degree with uh, the Design Museum in London and Kingston University and recently a, a PhD in architecture and urban design um, through their practice-based uh, stream. So my, my kind of background is, is very much like I think a lot of the curators who are in the book, actually. Um, we, I've kind of worked mainly uh, early on as, as a practising designer, but then very quickly really moved into uh, what you might call a, a specialised field of journalism. So I was the editor of an architecture magazine here called Monument um, for about seven years, and that really kind of honed my interest in cultural practice, writing, um, you know, discourse, 
certainly the beginnings of exhibiting around the practice of architecture and design. So that was a really fundamental period of work that really shifted um, my, I guess, attention into this more cultural production around architecture and design. Very interesting. And so diving right in, uh, usually my first question is kind of a little deeper in the book, and so I apologize for that. But I think what I'd love to start with is this idea of the new curator. And I, I know that's right on the cover, but it's obviously it's a theme throughout the entire book. And each chapter does talk about the curator as a specialist. But I guess, could you maybe start us off with this idea of the new curator? Well, I think it is a great place to, to start. Um, this idea of the new curator is, is in itself a little bit provocative. And um, the reason for that is uh, really that it's not about setting, setting up a binary. I'm, I'm not interested in setting up a binary between new and old forms of curatorship. Um, I mean, the scholarship and custodianship that is in established modes of curation and cultural production is, is very important. But that provocation really comes uh, in response to this idea of perhaps um, an emerging form of curatorial practice, which I think you can see through all of the conversations and the chapters of the book. And I argue in the book that this um, emerging sense of what a curatorial practice is in relationship to architecture and design is very much responding to not only the way that the practice of architecture and design is rapidly changing and, and expanding, but also the complexity and the diversity of conditions in which we're all responding uh, in terms of contemporary life. So it's, it's really about that porosity. Um, and I think that's really important because, you know, it's, it's really important that all these forms of, of curation come together. Um, but in the context of the new curator, I'm really talking about this idea of encountering design, perhaps rather than a more traditional mode of practice where you might encounter a series of objects uh, where the curator is actually placing those either within a continuum or, or revealing certain stories around them. I'm really interested in this idea of how you might actually exhibit design ideas and process as distinct from finished works or artifacts. So that idea that you're, you're kind of in real time in terms of some of these issues that we're grappling with. Um, and in that way, we're kind of tuned to the relationship to the outside world, the cultural and the social context, as well as uh, those kind of uh, debates that are happening within practice itself. So that's the context. But it's a very interesting idea. You know, as a professor of architecture myself, you know, every project at the end is basically a student showing us their finished work. And then we, we do present it in the hall for everyone to see. But the reality is it's a set of drawings and models of kind of their final design. So the idea of presenting process and interim stuff is, it, it seems kind of obvious, but it's uh, it's pretty interesting to hear about. So the question I have is, and again, with pretending I didn't read the interviews, how, how, how do people react to seeing much more process, more abstract versions of design versus a finished kind of contemplatable model? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I think it is always um, quite a challenging uh, environment to achieve. But 
I would argue that um, all of the conversations and the projects in this book are really talking about the fact that um, curating is not an activity that takes place in isolation and the audience is a, is a key part of these types of projects. So it's really about rather than presenting to an audience, it's actually bringing them right into the middle of the process. Um, you know, it, obviously there's a balance because it's really important to make it a welcoming environment. And that's something that I think all of the curators in the book uh, are really uh, aware of and, and, again, grappling with. You know, there's, there's a sense of how you bring people inside the process um, but also making sure that they feel welcome and that it's an open and uh, comfortable environment in which they can either take a very active part or perhaps they're just gently kind of working their way through it. So it's, it's definitely this idea of the exhibition space as a laboratory for the production of knowledge, research, experimentation of ideas, taking risks. This word risk is really important because I think, um, you know, on one level, uh, a lot of the exhibitions that we're presented with as a, as a community, because of their high cost and, and the kind of um, pressures within museum culture in general, often don't have a lot of risk in them because um, that's quite a, a, a kind of challenging concept. But that's where I think it's really important that we do have a variety of spaces, um, whether they're kind of independent spaces, whether they're spaces aligned to universities or colleges or research institutes, or whether they are, in fact, within the more established institutions themselves, where that kind of more risky, open um, production can take place. And... I guess to answer your question, is it really varies in my experience? I mean, certainly uh, many of the projects within the book, uh, some of which are at Design Hub Gallery, which I curated with my, with my colleagues, were quite risky in terms of how that public audience would engage with either the process-based works or the debates or discussions around them. But I think that's where the... Uh, what I would call the kind of curatorial hand is really important. So even though that curator is perhaps not as front and present in terms of um, a didactic curatorial voice, there is this element of um, what I call in the book at times, not always, but a, a kind of dramaturg approach, the kind of setting of conditions for things to happen within the environment or experiences to be unfolded or tests to be tested, um, but there is thought in in which uh, in the way that all of those things are connected together that makes that are coherent. Um, and I would say, lastly, it's a very long answer, sorry, but but lastly, there is a certain agency in this too, or a certain um, uh, mission, I guess, from my perspective, and that is. Uh, how do we move um, people, our community, from thinking about design as uh, a singular hero piece of architecture, for example, to something that is much more crucial to the way that we think about how we come together as a community? Because architectural 
thinking and design thinking in general clearly has a really important place and a really important leadership role within how we think about our built environment and our natural environment and how we face those kind of um, challenges that we all face as a community. So there is a kind of agency in trying to um, communicate and mediate to a wide public audience that design is something that can contribute to all parts of our lives, not just um, that kind of celebration of a beautiful object or, or a piece of architecture. Uh, thank you very much for elaborating on that. There's a few parts of your answer actually kind of bring me to a specific one of these chapters. You had mentioned the idea of you know experiencing design versus looking at the finest product, the idea of experimenting and having kind of more of the community engage and involved. And so one of the first chapters that come to mind is, and I don't know which specific one, the, the chapter about, you know, going from hybrid to digital, you know, architecture, it's, it's no secret, is trying to embrace much more three-dimensional virtual reality technology. And one thing I will say for everyone listening, that there's quite a quite a bit of illustrations and images that you're just not going to see listening to the two of us talk. So, but, you know, that, that chapter specifically shows a lot of pictures of digital environments and people actually using, you know, virtual reality goggles to experience that. And so, I, you know, sorry for this long question. The question I have is, in that interview, it is discussed that a lot of people do experience virtual environments much more than they think in the terms of video game design. And so, in, as your experience as a curator, do you see a lot of people physically interacting with, you know, any of the... When, you, when there's virtual reality goggles, for example, do people put them on and truly experience, or is it more of a novel? Well, I think at the moment, um, you know, we, we've obviously had this um, distinct and very quick uh, responsive change in, in how we engage uh, digitally. So I think certainly I've seen, uh, even in my own work with um, the Centre for Architecture in Open House Melbourne, um, this kind of digital space really opening up. So... Um, yeah, I guess if we look at it from two perspectives, from a, a from a really kind of simple perspective, um, we've seen museums talk about digital production and uh, exhibitions being kind of more accessible to everyone for a long time now, and it's and it's been absolutely rapidly transformed through the experience of the pandemic. So that um, access to exhibitions through um, you know VR tours. Uh, that don't require necessarily uh, goggles is very um, prevalent. And that has really raised some interesting issues for us in terms of, um, and, and relates to one of my points before, in terms of how do we start to think about, uh, let's call them radically welcoming spaces, um, uh, which is not my term. It's actually uh, an academic called Say Under Evie, but it's but it's a really great idea. I love it because it is that thing of saying, well, sure, we we talk about access and inclusion, and and we try to think about that all the time with um, how people come to something like open house or or an exhibition environment. But actually, if we're working in this hybrid world, what do we actually mean by? Um, things being accessible and inclusive and how are they welcoming for everyone. So that's kind of one side of it. Um, but in the chapter, what you're referring to is is really a lot of the work of Space Popular. Um, 
and and there's other people that we we uh, profile and speak about or I profile and speak about in the book, but also through the conversations. And I think that's a a really interesting area and I think Space Popular are one of the practitioners really working in this. And you can see um, through the book a couple of really tangible examples, a project they did for the Talon Biennale uh, called The Ben Room and then another one that they did with ArcDes. And that's really talking about, okay, if we, if our very near future is, is going to be embedded uh, with the experience of space uh, through augmented reality, then how, what do we want those spaces to be? And what are the kind of ethics and um, kind of social values of those spaces? And I think that work is incredibly interesting because we're starting to think about where spaces overlap, um, where things like aesthetics come to the fore, you know, really this kind of shift in terms of how we experience our cities and our regional centres through augmented reality. Um, so that's just kind of one of the, the chapters that really starts to grapple again with that. We, we know this is happening. Um, we're already seeing things like virtual tours of spaces, architecture, exhibitions, everywhere but when we get to that next um i guess place which is already happening where designers are um designing with intent virtual spaces for us to be part of through augmented reality how do we as a as a public take an active role within that and how are designers thinking about that from their kind of um, not only designerly responsibilities but their kind of social responsibilities. I don't know about you, but I'm very busy and I don't have a lot of time to cook. That's why I subscribe to Factor. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. These are two-minute meals. Factor meals are ready to eat in heat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. They're flexible for your schedule. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math, and this is important. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com nbn50 and use code nbn50 to get 50% off. That's code nbn50 at factormeals.com slash nbn50 to get 50% off. Uh, That is really interesting territory. Thank you. And it's, you bring up the idea of active participation. And so uh, again, a lot, every chapter has very good points, but one that really stood out to me personally, because of a message I've personally been shouting to the mountains since I've become an architect is the idea of trying to bring more people into the world of architecture and design. You know, it's a sad reality. A lot of people just don't know what architects do. They don't know what the value they bring. And so this is actually a direct quote. You mentioned the, actually, I'm sorry, this is not a direct quote, but you mentioned the idea of allowing people to see the experimentation, not the final design, but the failures, the prototypes, the 10,000 versions of something. And then at first, it seems like that would almost devalue what an architect does, but you make a point that it does the opposite. It shows what architects go through, what they do, 
And so it's not diminishing what we, what architects do. It's actually, you know, sharing knowledge with the outside world, what it is we do. And so I don't have the most defined question, but I would love if you could talk us a little bit more of the idea of, you know, the curator as translator, I believe you call it the idea of, you know, showing the outside world, what it is architects do. Yeah, I think this is um, a thread that really goes through all of the interviews, particularly in the book, um, and and also through the chapters themselves. Um, and it is through that idea of looking, reflecting on on practice more generally. So this idea that um, architectural architectural design is a practice, and in that word itself practice means that there's going to be failures because every situation is approached in a new way. And so I think that's that's a really fundamental message and, and really important to think about. And I think through the case studies, you can see how that's been um, really, I guess, experimented with for a long time, whether it's something like the Herzog and de Moron exhibition at the CCA, which was now some time ago, but that kind of almost idea of emptying the archive of Herzog and de Moron and thinking about this almost as a kind of archaeology project that reveals how architects approach something um, to things that are a little bit more explicit. And um, it goes back again to that idea of experimentation, risk, and failure. Um, so one of the projects in the book that uh, is a case study is one that I worked on um, and co-curated with Alex um, Newson from the Design Museum and Kate Rhodes, uh, my colleague at Design Hub. And that project was called The Future Is Here. And in that process, there was a huge risk in the way that we approached that exhibition. Um, we commissioned uh, a then quite emerging architect called Roland Snooks, who was working in robotic manufacturing, and we commissioned him to actually treat the exhibition space as a live one-to-one test. Um, And in that process, uh, there was, as I said, a great risk of failure that this was his first kind of built project. It was really getting things out of the computer uh, and actually into the exhibition environment in terms of, you know, how could these ideas, radical ideas, be tested and and scaled? And then what was the kind of future for that? And how could people actually experience this, that relationship between uh, the human architect with the robot and what were the kind of potentials for that? So that's just kind of one example. And we we really thought about that very carefully as curators. We, we kind of set ourselves the task of if this fails, this kind of experimental prototype, does that really matter? Because the um, really the intention is to show that this kind of research is is kind of happening within the context of academia, but is very linked to industry, but also community and and how we approach things as a as a public. Um, so we did a lot of documentation. We recorded lots of kind of. Uh, interviews through the process. There was a series of them actually, not just Roland's, but 10 other works as well. And in the end, we were able to produce that prototype and, but but it really didn't matter. The point was we were trying to expose the process. And there were a number of um, 
ways to kind of come at that work through the exhibition, both through kind of lab-like, um, you know, engagements where you could see the the robot or you could bring in a file and test it through the, the 3D printer, as well as lots of discursive elements, students doing workshop where the public could get involved. Um, and I, I feel like that was a really good example of how you kind of take on something quite risky, even with an international museum like the Design Museum, who I have to say were supportive but a bit anxious at the same time. And, um, and we all came around that idea together and it was a truly collaborative process. And there's, there's many other examples of that in, in the book. And I think it is people really respond to that. That's my experience is that... Um, you know, in many ways, like people enjoy seeing a building in the way that they wouldn't normally, the back of the house of a theatre or a fly tower. They also really want to understand the kind of um, challenges and and gra- grappling with the practice of architecture and that, um, you know, I think we all agree that at the moment it's it's need to really uh, take the foreground in terms of saying we can contribute to our communities from a whole number of different perspectives. The the practice of architecture and design is expanding rapidly and we're practising in different ways than we were, you know, even a decade ago. So our moving with society and we have relevance here and we have agency and leadership qualities and a way of thinking about the world that is valuable and that's, um, I think, really important. And so... You make you, you mentioned the idea. I'm sorry. Let me let me rephrase that. So one thing, of course, the reason I'm stumbling is the whole book is about you know what is the new curator. But one point I'd love to hear you talk more about is kind of this more democratic approach to displaying work. And I'll, you know, I'll take this from the book. You mentioned that you know the Museum of Modern Art and some older museums were very successful in displaying architecture to the public. However, if and correct me if I'm misunderstanding, you know the case is made that they did so with kind of a authoritative. I'm gonna have to recut that part out too. <laughs> they, they they had a voice of authority that was kind of dictating what counts as good design. Whereas, if I'm understanding it, you're saying the new curator doesn't present one singular correct answer, but instead shows the whole spectrum. Would that be correct in what I'm saying? Yes, absolutely. And I think, again, that really is just a reflection of the, you know, times that we live in. Things are not, um, things are complex and they're plural and there's lots of different ways of coming at a problem. There's lots of kind of different ways of viewing the world and making sense of the world. So, I, you know, some of those earlier projects were very successful. I think, you know, obviously, uh, it's spoken about in the book in various ways, but if we take the good design series, MoMA, that kind of thing. But then if, if you want to take MoMA for an example, you have practitioners such as Paola Antonelli, who's such an important part of this book, one of the conversations, but also a great mentor to I think so many of the curators gathered in this book. And, you know, she she to this day at MoMA is, is always... Um, thinking about that porosity of design pro, uh, practice. Um, and you can see, I think, in her conversation and also in one of the case studies in the book or mentions in the book around the design and violence 
exhibition at MoMA, which, you know, was was really difficult territory for that institution to tackle. Um, Paula approached that from, you know, what I think is, is characteristic of a lot of the curators uh, in the book and also my own practice is sometimes you have to kind of come at things from from different angles, you know. Sometimes you have to be a bit stealthy in terms of how you approach things that um, don't have that kind of big ticket um, spectacle around them. And, again, I'm not trying to set binary with that because I, you know, sometimes those big spectacle, Instagram-friendly kind of exhibitions can be really important in terms of bringing people along for the ride. I argue, though, that the danger is if we only measure the value of exhibitions in this case, whatever form they might take, uh, in how many, you know, how they fare on social media, um, how many people come through the door with ticket sales, then we're kind of missing something. We need that, and, and it's a bit concerning. I think um, we, we absolutely need that diversity of cultural production in terms of how we understand the making of architecture and design, and it's really important that that ecosystem is really strong. Um, and certainly it's challenging. We, we see this in Australia at the moment, particularly um, through the experience of the pandemic, that a lot of the more independent or not-for-profit organisations are really struggling. Um, the educational institutions have been really hung out to dry by our federal government and so therefore their commitment to um, culture and exhibition-making has been a bit stripped uh, or very stripped through lack of budget and means. And all of those spaces and ways of uh, exhibiting are, are hugely important so that that kind of complexity comes around it. And just quickly going back to that example of Paola Antonelli and design and violence, you know, what's so interesting about that story is that um, the exhibition didn't get up at MoMA. Paola uh, managed to still in collaboration with her co-curator, actually still make that project happen, in this case online. And then in the end, it actually became a book and a physical exhibition because it was so engaged with and, and timely for its moment. And I think we see that uh, complexity playing out with those kind of practitioners. I, I, thank you very much. I agree with, with all of it. So, of course, we've only touched on a few of the specialist roles of the curator, and there's quite a bit more. But I was wondering, you know, while we wrap this up, you know, so now that the book's been released, what uh, what's next on the horizon? What project are you spending your time on now? Uh, well, I'm I'm working on kind of two really fantastic projects at the moment. Um and, and in terms of thinking about uh, books, I'm working on a monograph series um, with Thames and Hudson, which is, is really kind of a deep dive into um, not emerging, but let's say middle career practitioners. And, and the monograph is obviously a really difficult, um, difficult thing to get across the line now. So we're really, again, looking at um, this expanding mode of architectural practice through a deep dive into individual practices. Um, but, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm certainly the first one's been released on Kirsten Thompson, who's an incredible uh, architect here in Melbourne, um, 
The next one is Neeson, Merkin and Neil, uh, based in Sydney. And then the third one will be March Studio, which is a, a multidisciplinary practice, again, here in Melbourne. Um, and then on the other hand, I'm also uh, working on a project for Open House Melbourne, uh, which we do annually here and um, which has grown kind of exponentially over the past uh, decade or so. And this project is with a really fantastic curator, um, originally from the States actually, but now in Melbourne, Tara McDowell, we're co-curating this project, which kind of relates a bit to the book. So for Open House, um, which of course, as you all your listeners will know, is about opening up the city and really celebrating uh, architecture and the built environment. In this case, we've commissioned eight cross-disciplinary practitioners to produce a very temporal work, creative work, only for the life of the weekend in eight different sites around the city. And I guess this folds into this idea of um, contemporary curatorial practice and the new curator kind of using the city itself as a gallery, but also thinking about a very light mode of exhibition practice that's very sustainable as this kind of temporal quality. But also, you know, trying to think about the fact that um, what, what are the kind of uh, more haptic um, experiences of, of space in the context of something like open house. So how do we think about the prehistories of buildings, um, the bodies, bodies moving through space, the afterlife of, of um, particular spaces? So these eight practitioners are working in um, particular sites to produce these creative works, um, which which kind of challenge people perhaps to think a little bit more deeply beyond pure celebration. So it does kind of fold into what we've been talking about, that kind of agency. Did you bring people along? Absolutely. And make it welcoming and and really that they're part of the process, but also tackle some thornier topics in the mix and actually start to think about um, how we all have a have a kind of responsibility to shape a better built and natural environment for everyone and that's really at the heart of it sounds great maybe we'll talk again in the future <laughs> that would be fantastic well so i want to thank you very much for being here with me today and talking about the book well it's been a, a really great conversation i've really enjoyed it thank you Glad to hear it. And for everybody listening, the book is The New Curator, ex Exhibiting Architecture and Design. Thank you very much for listening and have a great day. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.